This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 89. And the quote of the day is from Muhammad Ali, who said, My wealth is in my knowledge of self, love, and spirituality. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And this session is brought to you by Boso Bamboo Drumsticks, the world's first full line of bamboo drumsticks. And if you haven't checked these out already, do yourself a favor. Check them out. They're amazing sticks. They have a, a natural rebound, a natural flex to them that makes you not have to work as hard when you're playing them. And, and the tone is this warmer, lush tone that you're going to get out of the cymbals and out of the drums. So definitely check them out. Uh, bosodrumsticks.com you can actually save 15% off your order by using the promo code podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t uh, at checkout you can save 15% off your entire order so check them out bosodrumsticks.com now the interview that I have today I'm super excited about I have Ed Sof and Ed if you have not heard of who Ed Sof is he's a master teacher but he's I mean he's 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 been a performer in his own right for years and has shared the stage with many 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 famous musicians but he's also taught a lot of famous musicians famous drummers uh, specifically like Rich Redman, Jason Sutter, Dave Weckl, Ari Honig, uh, I mean the list the list goes on and on Keith Carlock so I really, really wanted him to have him on the show because I know that he has a ton of knowledge to share and he did not, he did not fall short on that. I'll tell you that because this interview is, is absolutely amazing. I could have, I could have uh, gone on forever with him. So I'm going to get right into it and let you start diving into some of the stuff that Ed has to say because it's awesome. So without further ado, Mr. Ed Sof. Ed, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the resource. Absolutely, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you, and your your reputation precedes you, and uh, it's it's absolutely an, an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So I always like to get a little bit of backstory on on the, the person that I'm interviewing. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what exactly it is that you do. Well, I uh, I teach right now. I teach drum set improvisation and that means not just jazz but funk and world music and all the other things that drummers have to have under their belts today to make a living i teach that at the university of north texas in denton texas which has a long 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 history of turning out great drummers and great musicians before that i lived on the east coast for 20 years i was involved in studio work recording and uh, quite frankly, I started getting busy doing clinics and realized that uh, I really enjoyed doing it and mm-hmm. uh, felt that I had some good information to give because I found that I could relate well to people who were just starting out or people in mid-career because I'd already been there and had to work out basically a lot of the same problems that they had. Uh, not necessarily personally, but that had come up too, but primarily technical and musical challenges on the instrument that books and things like that at that time just really didn't deal with. Mm-hmm. So before that, before I was, uh, before I moved to New York, I was on the road 
for quite a few years with a lot of big bands, Woody Herman's big band. I recorded quite a few albums with Woody. Uh, Clark Terry, the great trumpet player, Bill Watrous, the trombone player, had a, had a wonderful big band, and um, Stan Kenton's orchestra. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually went on Stan's band uh, right from North Texas. I went to North Texas and graduated down there in 68. And uh, the way of the world back then was that uh, this is before uh, tweets and you know all the all the good stuff that right. young folks have now. That the, the Twitter, all wor- as they call it. <laughs> What's that? I said the Twitter, as they call it. Yeah, the uh, it was all word of mouth and, and recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I was recommended highly by some other musicians who heard me play, and that sort of got me kick-started into a professional career from from a student career. And the student career I thought was pretty cool and heavy until. I got into the real world and realized that that's when the real education started. And that was right. another thing that I felt I could help my students with is because I've been in places that they haven't been yet in terms of career. And quite frankly, there are some places that they'll never get to because those places don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. like uh, learning how to how to play on the road and that sort of thing, right. getting tested on the road. And to go back further, uh, I was very fortunate when I was a kid in Houston, Texas, because at the age of 14 or 15, I was playing with really great older players who more or less mentored me. And I was very fortunate in that respect. That's probably the the best thing in the world that ever happened to me musically, uh, because by the time I got to North Texas, I already had some, some serious professional experience under my belt. I'd been screamed out, screamed at because I was too loud or yelled at because I was dragging or rushing. I really, <laughs> really learned quick because if you don't learn quick, you lose the gig. Sure. It's not a matter. Sure. Now it's a matter of getting a bad grade. Back then it was a matter of getting fired. Right. And uh, before that, before I got my first drum set and started putzing around on it, I, uh, as a little kid, five, six, seven years old, my dad came home one day from work with a wood block and a pair of sticks and uh, set me down on the floor and put on a Louis Armstrong record, New Orleans record, Baby Dodds on drums. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I started. And that's where I, when I started playing. And it just went from there, starting back in the, you know, when I was, like I say, five or six, and my dad would play ragtime piano or put on a record on, and I'd clippity clop along on my wood block so he was a he was a uh, musician himself yeah he was a closet piano player that's okay. what he was a, a salesman but he loved ragtime and he played ragtime very well and uh he also stayed abreast of of developments in the music so he was by no means stuck in the past at all he mm-hmm. was always on top of what the newest trends were in jazz hmm. yeah now you would mention that that you teach improvisation on drums and it's not just jazz, it's it's funk, it's rock, it's, it's yeah. whatever it is. Um can we unpack that a little bit and, and just sure. talk a little bit about um your your approach to that and, and what people should really be thinking when it comes to improvisation? Well, it's what they need to be thinking is they need to be thinking music and not drum beats. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this is an old tradition. It's the way the cats started playing before there were books on how to do this and how to do that. I mean, all the great players in our history, whether they be jazz, rock, or anything else, did not learn out of books. They learned by listening to people who could already play well, mm-hmm. emulating them, 
and uh, developing their own their own thing out of that. Books are valuable. I'll say that because I'm a teacher, but books are only as valuable as the problems that they address. And a book, it's, if the book itself is a problem, that's no good because then you only learn how to play the book. The book has to be used to solve problems that one finds in trying to play music. Mm-hmm. You bring those problems to the book. You know, here's a book on this. You need to learn how to play fast. Maybe some of the techniques in this book will help you, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, at any rate, I always go back to, to the story that Bernard Purdy told me when, when he was so busy in the studios. Uh, they would go into, he'd go in to do a date, and, and they'd have the bass player create a line. And then they'd say, Bernard, put something on top of that. And Bernard, on the spot, would create a groove. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing today. I mean, Steve Gadd created an iconic groove with 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Mm-hmm. Jeff Picaro created, created an iconic groove with uh, Rosanna. So what I'm saying is that everybody's a jazz player. Everybody has has an improviser's mentality, and they have to have if they're going to make it in the business or if they're just happy playing cover bands, being a Buddy Rich clone or a Neil Peart clone or something like that, which is fine to each his own. But one finds his own voice on the instrument through assimil- assimilation and by learning how to create his own patterns, be it in a funk situation or his own accompaniments, if it's in a, in a, say a jazz or ride cymbal bass style music. So the bottom line is what I'll what I'll do with my students is I'll tell them learn to, learn a piece of music, and by this I mean just be able to hum the melody. And it can be you can use any tune. I mean, my God, you could use "Mary Had a Little Lamb" as a as a beginning beginning vehicle and say, okay, come in now, play this in a bebop style. If if you were in a band playing bebop, how would how would you accompany this tune? Mm-hmm. Or what if this tune were a samba? How would you play it? Or if this if the guy said to you, take the first two bars of Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and construct a funk groove on it, a two bar funk groove. Right. So that's so the, the the fellow tries it, and of course he can only do it as well as he has coordination at the time. So then you know that's that's the key. Oh man, you see that problem there? Your right hand and your right foot always want to go together, and sometimes the left hand and the right foot have to go together. So maybe we need to work on some coordinated independence or dependence exercises. Here's mm-hmm. some exercises for that. Get that okay. knocked out, then new new doors are open for the funk rhythm. Mm-hmm. But in any case, what I'm saying basically is that so many people. Young people that I see who come, say, to audition to school, they come with a, with a drum set book under their arm, or they come with a prepared solo, or they come with, uh, 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 here are all the beats I can play. Right. And the sad thing is that these kids have probably been taught by a very sincere person, but this, they have not been prepared at all for what a professional drummer has to do. Mm-hmm. And that is, he has to, as a sideman, make everybody else in the band feel good about playing and has to fulfill what other dic- whatever dictates or orders the leader of the band gives him. Mm-hmm. And you do that not by pulling a book out and looking at the index and saying, oh, wait, on, wait a minute while I try to find this. <laughs> right. You do it by having a musical mind that can solve problems. 
And that's another aspect of learning how to improvise. You learn how to solve your own problems by trying to play what you feel would go best with the funk beat for first two bars of Rudolph had the red-nosed reindeer. Am I making sense here? You're you're making absolute sense. Absolutely. the improvisational part is so important, and, and I use, I mean, I have no problem backing up what I'm trying to teach with words from people who are, who are great players. And Kenny Aronoff, no need to say anything about Kenny. He is one of the premier studio players. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Kenny, in a, in a magazine article a number of years ago, said, Every drummer, especially if they want to be a studio player, but every drummer needs to have the mentality of a jazz player. Oh, what the interviewer goes, my God, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and he said, well, you've got to be able to create. You've got to be able to solve problems, and you have to do it within a split second because that's what you're called upon to do. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to talk about how all the first, gen- first and second generation, at least, and probably still to a large de- degree now, of studio players out in L.A. and in New York were all jazz players. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, they, they, they had no problem mimicking the pop styles. Remember the Carpenters way back then, mm-hmm. Karen Carpenter mm-hmm. and... Uh, oh my God, uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, that, that kind of popular music, every jingle that was produced, the, the producer would say to you, okay, man, we want to we wanna feel like this, like uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, or let's get a carpenter's groove on this. So all these cats didn't have any problem with that, right? you know, and because they knew how to improvise. They knew how to listen to the music and create what was necessary rhythmically to enhance it. So that's my big stick here is, is to get kids to think, because if they learn to think, they're going to be able to play. If right. they don't think, they're not going to play. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what do, you, what do you think are, are some of the biggest uh, hurdles or mistakes that drummers are making out there now that are trying to do this professionally? Do you think it's the fact that they don't know how to improvise? Or? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I sort of don't want to do be stereotypical about this, but... It's all a matter of maturity, really. I mean, everybody goes through the same thing. Their first, their first romance is with the drums themselves. I mean, you know, nobody, nobody comes to the drums because they heard a guy playing a ballad with brushes. Right. They, it's somebody just tearing it up with badass double bass chops and the whole thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then a certain maturity has to come in where you realize you've got to get past being a drummer and get to the point where you are a musician who plays mm-hmm. drums. I'll tell you a prime example of this sort of person is Simon Phillips. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I had Simon on the show, actually. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but at any rate, and some people just can't get out of drummer mode. And that's fine. These are people who can go out and give clinics. They can play solos for people and hopefully answer questions that are that are are brought up by the audience about what they did, but that's their niche. That's their niche. Mm-hmm. The, the, so whether or not a person gets past, gets past the instrument and gets into the music, that's what's important. If a kid is a rock drummer and I ask him about Jimi Hendrix or I ask him about uh, John Bonham or any, any of the early players, 
and, and I get a blank stare, I know I'm dealing with someone who, oops, at this point is not going to go any far, very far because they don't allow themselves to get any background, any history. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. You, you've got to know what went on before you. Otherwise, you're not going to have any idea of why the hell people are playing the way they are now and uh, understand it. And Lord only knows you, you're not going to have any tools at all to chart your own future. It's that way in all the arts. Right. You've got to know what went before. You've got to know the groundwork. You've got to know the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And young people, uh, God, I sound like my father today, <laughs> to a large degree, are have such short attention spans and are so impatient because everything is accessed so easily. Instant text messages, you know what I'm talking about, of course. Mm-hmm. Instant gratification on everything. Exactly. And I tell my students, I say, you've got, to, you've got to become schizophrenic. And they look at me like, what do you mean? I say, well, you've, part of your life is lived in, in the di- digital world. You know, your cell phone, your, your computer, the whole thing. And that's great. It's a great resource. Mm-hmm. But what you're trying to do as a musician, you can't Google it. You've got to learn to live an analog life in that respect. You have to be patient. You have to realize it's going to take years, that you're never going to reach the end of your journey because you're going to, it's, it's going to be one of constant exploration and discovery if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, man, to, to, it's like pulling eye teeth to get some of these kids to, to practice. Practice one thing for five minutes straight. Isn't that ridiculous? Mm-hmm. They come in, I say... They're trying to play a consistent backbeat, and they'll get two rim shots and miss three. Get two more, miss four. And I say, God, man, you know, what you, you know how to get better rim shots? And you go, oh, my snare position? I say, your snare position's fine. What do you need to do? Uh, different stick? No. So you need to practice. Right. And, and, I mean, this sounds really stupid, but this is how uninformed some of these young people are. And, and I say, you, if, I promise you, if you practice just rim shots, slowly and thoughtfully, put your click on at a nice medium tempo and work on rim shots for 30 minutes a day for the next week. When you come in next week to your lesson, I'll wager that your, the, your success rate has increased 3,000%. And, of course, right. it always yeah. does. Mm-hmm. It's so, amazing what practice does, isn't it? Oh, holy <laughs> shit. I mean, really. Give me a break. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just do it. Just right. do it. Right. So, but everything is, is sort of strange now because everything is so easily accessed. Uh, and, and what really bothers me the most is that there's such a horrible lack of curiosity. Yeah. And uh, I, I can put a CD on and say, who do you think that drummer is? And they go, go I don't know. I can, Okay, this 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 is out, man. You ready for this? Billy Cobham mm-hmm. is is one of the one of the most very very important innovator on the instrument. Obviously, sure. his work yeah. work with Mahavishnu and everything. It's just insane. So one of the just in casual conversation with the kid with what kid here, I, I put and talking. I put on a I put on. A, a record called Little Sunflower, mm-hmm. and it's with Milt Jackson, and, and Cobham is playing drums. And it's real straight ahead. It's a 70s fusion Creed Taylor CTI sound, the whole thing. And uh, they say, I say, who's that drummer? 
And uh, this, and they go, I don't know. Wow, he sounds really good. And I said, it's a fellow named Billy Cobham. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yeah, yeah. They all know names. Right. That's all they know. And so I leave it at that. I said, but he really sounds great, doesn't he? It's beautiful how he plays the tunes, how he orchestrates his time, how he hooks up with Ron Carter. I said, he's, he's, a, he's a great musician, isn't he? Oh, man, man, he's cool. He's awesome. Usual cliches that you get from the kids. Right. And so the kid comes back for his lesson the next week, and I say, hey, so did you check out some more Billy Cobham? Nothing. Right. Nothing. So then I put on that first Mahavishnu album, The Inner Mounting Flame, <laughs> that he did on that four-piece Gretsch kit, yeah. which would scare anybody to death. It's and not, their it jaws. like a thunderstorm. Oh, man, unbelievable <laughs> drumming. Unbelievable drumming. And these kids are just, they go, I say, who's that? And they say, I don't know. Well, that's your man, Billy Cobham. Right. And so I say, does, this, does that whet your appetite, the fact that he's more drumistic here? Will this get you off your lazy ass? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So that's the big frustration of teaching, because the people are, have been let into this school, for example, because the faculty sees them as having potential. Right. right. But so many kids come in thinking that it's our job to make them realize their potential, that we have the magic pills, we have the magic exercises. They have absolutely no clue that the only way they're going to do it is take the tools that we give them and do something with it. Mm-hmm. And that is the saddest thing of all, is trying to to convince these people that they are in charge of their own destiny and right. accepting responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't that way in earlier days. Uh, and for for many reasons. Number one, there were full-time bands that people could aspire to play with. Right. There were big bands that you went on the road with. The idea of having a recording contract or even being a sideman on a recording was like the, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Right. Whereas today, my dog could make a CD. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the the erosion of standards... Now, I'm not talking about being an elitist or anything like that. I'm just talking about standards. The standards are gone. We've got a jazz radio station here, thank God, at North Texas, KNTU. It's a great station. Mm-hmm. They but actually they play- played, played my record for a little while, a couple years ago. Terrific. So, yeah. Terrific. Yeah. They play lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. And some of it, you have to question why is that being played on the airway? That was pro- this is probably my record. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, no, no. These are records where people can't play in tune or in time. Right, right. So, you know what I mean? Just sure. basic nuts and bolts skills. I'm not talking about reinventing the wheel or anything, but just, sure. hey. So there's been an erosion of standards, and but to today's young person, that's the norm. And you have to make them aware that whether there are no standards or standards are lower now than they were 20, 25 years ago, you still have to make your standards for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I always give them Buddy Rich's line. I want my worst night to be everybody else's best night. Right. That's how you got to think, especially in this day and age when there are 10 zillion more great players and 10 zillion less places for them to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's such a highly competitive market now. The one saving grace is that people can do their own projects and get their names out. 
the good thing is that the good people with the good projects do well, and unfortunately, the people with the cheesy projects fall by the wayside. So there still is a winnowing effect, and that's why the music continues to grow, whether it's experimental funk or rock, jazz, whatever. That's the good sign. The music is still evolving. Mm-hmm. So, But to be a part of that evolution... You've got to study the people who are doing it, the Marcus Gilmores, the Eric Harlan's, Chris Daves, people like that in terms of drumming. Mm-hmm. And you've got to look at them and, and not just listen to their most recent recording. Go back and listen to their first recording and see what they sound like. Right. And get on, you know, you've got that computer, you've got email, shoot them an email. Go to their website, shoot them an email and say, hey, man, I'm so-and-so. I really dig your playing. Just tell me something about how you started and what your problems were. And all of a sudden, a lot of these guys write back. And they, and they, and they kids say, wow, man, this cat, he, he, he didn't know how to hold his sticks when he started. I right. say, well, what do you think? He's been through the same trip you're trying to go through now. And the more you're aware of what he went through and are aware of his evolution as a player, the better you're going to be prepared for what you need to deal with. Mm-hmm. So again, it's curiosity and it's depth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because that's the way that this podcast started. So I've interviewed, uh, you know, over 90 people now. And I started with just emailing people and asking them questions. And then it got to the point where I was like, hey, man, can I can I call you? You know, and then Uh after that, I said, well, I should be recording these conversations so that other people can can get all of this knowledge because I don't wow, that's want, terrific. I don't want to just keep it all for myself. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was that but that's how it started maybe three years ago of me just like emailing people and calling people and going to gigs and asking questions and then it just kind of evolved into this thing that that now I want to share all of this knowledge with everybody because it would be selfish just to, to keep it for myself. So Sure, sure. You know. Well, you're doing a great service, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And it's people yeah. like you and everyone else that's been on the show that, that keeps this going, and uh, and I really do appreciate everybody doing this. So Sure, sure. So, so I want to touch on a couple of things that you had mentioned. Um, the the one thing, when we were talking about practice and you know how people don't want to practice, and the one thing that I've realized is that people, because there is the internet, because you have YouTube and, and you can watch all of this music, it kind of gives you this overwhelmed feeling where you're saying, wow, I don't yeah. know anything. Where do I start? And so many people, I get emails every single day saying, Nick, uh-huh. what should I practice? What should I practice? And I always think about, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you don't know that you don't know it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I would, I, I'll pose that question to you. Um, how do you, how do you sort of evaluate you're playing and, and look inside and, and realize, you know, A, what's important to be practicing and B, where you're falling short? Well, there's, I practice in two general categories. I practice technically and I practice musically. The technical practice at my age is basically maintaining what I already have and pushing what, towards what I don't have. And these are very simple categories. Uh, I practice in regards to musical, uh, what would you say, musical attributes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still work on playing softly, but, within, but with intensity, all right, which is a real challenge on this instrument. Mm-hmm. I still work on opening up my loud end more. I practice time every day. I, practice, I have exercises where I practice grooves and, and improv, improvisations at quarter note equals 40. 
first time I tried that, I felt like a beginner. Yeah. Everybody does, you know, and that's it's 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 not because it's hard. It's a humbling it's, experience, though. Yeah, and it's not because it's difficult. It's just because you've never done it before. Right. And after a couple of weeks of that, you sit down, put the old clicker on forty, and man, yeah, baby, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. And then on the opposite side, I have a, a rule. I need to be 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 able to play time between assuming that the the style will accommodate the the various tempo range ranges from 40 up to 400 so i'll practice say playing bebop time at uh 400 mm-hmm. and i know that if i can do that and if i have dynamic control of that that when music making time comes i don't have to sit there and think oh god i hope they don't call off something really fast right right or God forbid if they call off something really slow. And kids don't realize this. It's something that basic is, is so intrinsically important to their to their musical development, whether they're improvisers or beat players or whatever the hell they are. Right. That's the first thing is time. I practice everything with a metronome. Yeah. Everything. Because uh, I'm smart in that respect. That's the one where, place where I'm really smart because... Bottom line comes, people are going to want to play with you, not because you got 10 zillion drums or whatever. It's because you can lay it down, baby. Right. You make it feel good. So uh, that sort of takes the form of, uh, of the technical end, taking books like Stick Control or Gary Chafee's books, linear books, incredible. Man, you can do... They're wide open. You can do whatever you want. It's all up to your imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like with Alan Dawson had his million and one ways of playing Ted Reed's syncopation. Linear books are the best thing in the world because you take those linear rhythms and stickings and you can just go to town figuring out different ways to use them on the kit. Yeah. So that's, that's part of the, of the technical practice as well. Then the musical practicing is as strange as it sounds. I play tunes. Because my, my, one of my concepts of playing the instrument is that I find it a real challenge to play with the same flow and melodic contours and dynamic nuances as a horn player can have mm-hmm. or as a pianist can have. And I've sort of been, uh, been stereotyped as is the way this business is, as, quote, a jazz player, unquote. Right. So most of the gigs that I play are, quote, jazz, unquote, gigs. And, mm-hmm. and so... I'm constantly working on repertoire, and I have students who who are who are working on pop and funk grooves, and they are listening to repertoire and working on it too. So, the the musical part in, in, is both both uh, improvisational and stylistic. And as well, of course, been playing a tune, as I mentioned earlier, what would happen if somebody asked me to play this tune as a samba in five, four, mm-hmm. I mean, man, you're practicing. If you practice imaginatively, you'll play imaginatively. Right. Now this doesn't mean you're going to overplay, you know, you're a pro, but it means that you're going to have a pocket full of things that you can draw on. So somebody says, I want this and you go, yeah, baby. Okay. I'm, I'm sort of hip to that and away mm-hmm. you go. So practicing, you want to practice the way you want to play. And if you practice mindlessly, if you practice without listening to yourself, if you practice uh, without musical intent, that's how you're going to play. It's that simple. 
The other aspect of practicing is practicing away from the drums. And this, if a person already has a good technical background, is probably take, starts to take precedence in their practice period in that they sit down and they listen to a cut or they listen to an album. Mm-hmm. And they listen and listen and listen and listen until they start to hear why that album sounds so good. Why does Elvin Jones sound so good? What's the relationship between Elvin and McCoy Tyner? What's the relationship between Elvin and Jimmy Garrison? What's the relationship? What's going on between John Coltrane and Elvin Jones? What's going on between Jimmy Cobb or Tony Williams and Miles? I mean, you can take these iconic jazz groups, just as you can take iconic funk groups, James Brown rhythm sections. Mm -hmm. Wow, what's Clyde Stubblefield doing here with Jerry Jamat? That's where the real rubber hits the road, is you start to listen and you start to really sharpen your perception skills to where you start to hear connections. You hear the interplay. And the point of this is, is that if you develop this skill in listening to a recording, then you transfer that to when you become a listener in the group that you're playing in. Right. Because that is the greatest skill of all. The best players are the best listeners. It's mm-hmm. that simple. Mm-hmm. So that is, I should obviously add that third category to technical practice, musical practicing, and then creative listening, or what some people call deep listening, to where instead of listening to an album in the background while you play a video game or something like that, or text message, or do whatever you're doing, shopping on Amazon, only that music. And quite frankly, if you can't sit there and lose yourself in the music in in a recording situation like this, how in the heck are you going to do it when you're actually playing? Right. So I think when it bottom line is that that's the most important practicing of all mm-hmm. is deep listening, no matter what style you choose to play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's this, this world of, uh, of singles and, and two minute songs on the radio and things like that. It's just, there's not a ton of, uh, of listening going on. And I don't want to sound like, you know, the same way, like you said, I don't want to sound like this crotchety old man or like this elitist by any means. Um, but there's some, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, or there's a lot less listening going on as far as I'm concerned that I think is really getting in the way of people's playing. Yeah, probably, probably so. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame because it's something that, you can do whether you, no matter how well or how poorly you, you play or where you are in your development, you can always listen. And that's, I, I relate to my own experience because when I was a little kid, there was always music playing in the, in the house. Mm-hmm. And it was just part of the culture right. in, in, the, in the household. There, it was, I mean, I'm old enough that uh, we, did, we didn't have a television for a while. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at night, when we had dinner together, my dad would put records on. Right. And uh, so it was a whole different a whole different culture back then. And and I'm not against change at all. God forbid. Uh, but there's certain certain things that I don't care if it's 1492 or 2092. There's certain things that will always hold true. And one of them is you 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 do best at what you know the most about. And if if you're lucky enough to come from a household or to have a teacher when you're young who instills a love and a passion for something like music or painting or being a good 
cabinet maker, I mean, that's going to carry you through your life. You're always going to have something to do and always feel good about yourself because you can do something well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. So I want to I want to switch it up a little bit. I I, I have to ask you um, about about some of the students that you've had. Uh, I mean, you taught Ari Honing, Keith Carlock, uh, Joel Rosenblatt, Jason Sutter, um, and I think Rich Redmond too, right? Yeah. And Dave Weckl. A little bit. Weckl just for maybe a semester or two. Okay. Now I'm sure that you have a, a tremendous sense of pride having all of these people studied under you and and went on to to great careers. But let's I, I kind of want to get in that into that uh, into that room with those guys when when they were in college. And what was it like teaching some of these guys? Oh, there were good days and bad days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, it's easy to teach smart people. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of these gentlemen that you mentioned and all the others who have done well and doing well to me is, is not necessarily making the cover of modern drummer. I mean, that's, that's nice, but people who have, who have vibrant careers going in music, uh, they, the, the, um, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Holy moly. Uh, about the being smart people and yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, they, they, they can think, they have that curiosity that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not afraid to find out what they can't do. They welcome challenges. Uh, everybody who comes through this studio gets the same box of tools. Right. Presented in different ways and some bigger tools, some smaller, depending upon what a person's needs are. But bottom line, everybody gets the same rap. Mm-hmm. And some people take those tools and build magnificent edifices for themselves. And some people do the best they can. So it's the folks who, from my standpoint, without making it a value judgment, simply observation, the people who can think, the people who are not afraid to find out what they can't do, the people who, when you ask them a question, don't say, well, sometimes who say, never. Hey, do you ever practice with a metronome? Uh, well, you know, uh, uh, well, you know, sometimes. And, and then you say, well, what do you really mean? And the person says, well, not very much. Right. And uh, what do you really mean? Well, hardly at all. What do you really mean? Never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so these, those guys that you named and the scores of others had no problem. They were honest. They didn't try to bullshit, right? And uh, which means that they have a lot of self-respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're good people, basically. And uh, when they when something would happen and they they slack off or something, then you know I got to be good cop, bad cop. I pop the whip, and uh, if I see them smoking a cigarette, they're going to catch on holy hell because you know you can't play drums if you have got a sick body and. Right. So there's all sorts of things like, but these guys, they all had musical minds. They all had great ears. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you look at the stray. You got Ari Honig, and then say another fellow who went through here, Jim Riley, who's with Rascal Flatts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get you can't get more 
diametrically opposed musically than Ari Honig and Jim Riley. Right. right. Two different worlds. Two different, completely valid worlds. But that's what I mean about guys taking the tools and then having the people skills, the business skills, the networking skills to find their niche. Mm -hmm. And the dedication, and because I, I had Jim on the show and he was telling me about, you know, he was sleeping in a, in a truck in Nashville. Oh, man, know. yeah. Yeah. You know. These guys, have, these guys have goals. That's the other thing, too. When I, I can ask some students, well, what do you want to do with your life? And, uh, well, uh, uh, you know, uh, I want to be a studio musician. I say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 hold on here now. But somebody like Carlock or the people you mentioned, you say, what do you want to do? Bingo, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, Yeah, when he moved to New York, he said, I want to play with Wayne Krantz. And he, yep. you know, and he figured out a way to do it, and that led to the Steely Dan gig, and you know, the rest is history, so they say. Yeah, well, with all these guys, especially with Keith and Ari, too, um, it's, it's who you meet in, when you're in school has a lot to do with it too not necessarily your peers but for example here at school we have what's called a jazz lecture series and we bring in guest artists and the top drummers get to play recitals with them mm -hmm. and Ari played with Kenny Werner oh. well that immediately cemented a relationship which was further explored when Ari moved to New York the groundwork mm -hmm. had already been laid Keith worked with Lenny Stern when she came to give a guitar clinic Boom, the word's out. Man, you should hear this young drummer in Denton, Texas. Right. Then on top of that, on top of that, Keith was, was one of the top drummers in Dallas as well while he was in school up here. In other words, he broke out of the ivory tower and, and started working in the real world and deal, dealing with the social aspects of that. And he got called to do a recording session in Dallas, and it just so happened that the producer was from New York. And the producer came in from the city, and they did the did the the session and Keith played his ass off and this producer went back to New York and his buddy say hey man what, what happened down in Dallas he said oh man the session was okay but damn you should have heard this drummer <laughs> he gave me his card this is the cat man look out for him so that's that's the other thing too being prepared when the opportunity comes mm -hmm. and uh, these guys have all been prepared it's better to be to be prepared for an opportunity and not have it than have an opportunity and not be prepared for it. Of course. And I yeah. tell them, you never know what it's going to be. It could be a polka band, for Christ's sake. Right. But the thing is, and I tell all my students, I have some students who just want to play splang-a-lang music, and I have some who just want to go and play backbeat music. I say, you got to do both and more. And they go, why? I say, well, suppose that you're a lousy funk drummer, that you put all your eggs in the bebop basket. You move to New York, and the first call you get is from a buddy who has a funk band. And he says, hey, man, we've got this showcase, and my drummer came down with the flu. You've got to help me out, bud. You've got to help me out. So he's, the, the guy's going, oh, man, what do I do? I don't play funk. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. So he goes and takes the gig, and the cat is, oh, man, it's terrible. <laughs> so and lo and behold, who walks in? Donald Fagan. Wayne Shorter. Wayne Krantz, who knows? But right. somebody with credentials established, one of the cats or one of the ladies walks in, and they're sitting there, and I tell my students, I say, do you think that person's sitting there going, wow, this guy doesn't play funk very well, but I bet you he's a great bebop drummer. Right. 
I said, no, man, this cat, that rubber stamp comes out, that in invisible rubber stamp that everybody unfortunately sees. It's the big red sign that says, this cat can't play, period. Mm -hmm. And I say, that's what you've got to look out for because that, that first chance can, either, can turn into being your only chance if you're not careful. You've got to be ready for everything. Right. So these cats are ready for everything. Jason Sutter's a good example. My God, man. Drumline guy, uh, love playing bebop, and what's he doing? Playing with Marilyn Manson, for Christ's sake. Right. So, right. I mean, that's great. That is great. I just think it's wonderful. And it just it vindicates what I do because my my cardinal rule is to create players who play better than I do. And all those guys do, and they're all doing well. Mm-hmm. So what, there you go. That's awesome. So that, that's the, a long story about why people like the ones that you mentioned are do well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's no, there's no magic formula. It's a lot of incredibly hard work, honesty, and being prepared. Right. Now, yep. do you do you? This is a I, this is just a, an opinion question. But do you feel like if if you haven't gotten there by a certain point that you're not going to? No, I don't say that anymore. No, no. I've been teaching fifty years, and in those fifty years, I've learned some really stupid lessons. Where I've told a student, "Man, you ought to you know you ought to become a pharmacist. You're not gonna you're not gonna amount to a hill of beans. You just don't have it, da Daddy. You know? Right? Can you think talk about Oh, what? Pardon my French, but you know, I was okay. a total asshole. And a few years later, I get an, uh, a phone call or somebody tells me, say, hey, you remember so-and-so, that guy that you told to get out of the business? I said, yeah, yeah. What's he doing? Is he a pharmacist yet? He said, no, man, he, he's playing with Woody Herman's big band. <laughs> yeah. So... Right then, boy, I mean, it only takes one lesson like that to realize so few are a bloody idiot. And so I learned a long time ago uh, that it, that everybody's different. And to say something like, well, man, if you haven't made it by the time you're 22, uh, wrap it up. Good God, give me a break, you know? Right, right. And, and uh, same things like with, with teaching, I've, things that I used to tell students never to do. Don't ever do that. Don't don't. Don't play that in the middle of a phrase like that, or don't switch a symbol like that. And then, of course, sooner or later, the clouds of the of ignorance covering my head suddenly part for a minute, and I hear a masterful drummer do exactly what I've been telling my students not to do. <laughs> so I realize, hey, man, that's the beauty of the music, is that somebody's mistake can be somebody else's great expression if it's right. done musically. So my, my, the only rules I have, the only judgments I will make is, can you keep time? Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. Everybody's got a comfort zone. Everybody comes to school with a zone where they feel they can play well. And I say, play me time in your comfort zone. I'll put on a metronomically true play-along track for them to play with. And if they can play with good time, that's all I care about. Right. Because they've got, as far as I'm concerned, the fundamentals to put those tools to use that I'm going to give them. Mm -hmm. What happens after that? You know, you create your own destiny. Right. But I'm not about to say, put any age limits or anything like that on it. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. That's good. So now do you outside of the outside of the college, do you teach privately or no? No, I don't. I'm so busy at school and uh, my weekends I'm frequently out of town doing clinics and gigs and things like that that uh I really can't give lessons with any regularity. Mm-hmm. If somebody if a if if a if a player who's you know, a really good player, somebody says, I you know, I want to come in just to spend a day and talk about this or talk about that. Somebody who has a something that they want to deal with, I can make time for that. But as far as someone who who needs needs the structure of regular lessons, uh, I can't provide that so I don't teach outside the school. I got you. I got yeah. you. So I want to talk about this, uh, the, the one o'clock lab band real quick. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it, it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the only university band that's ever won a Grammy Award? Uh, might be. I don't know. Probably, I, th- I might maybe. I really, I really couldn't tell you. No. I know. I know. The band has been has been held in in the highest possible esteem since, well, virtually for the past fifty years. Mm-hmm. It's the old. Uh, the the program here is the oldest program in the country, public program. Um, Berkeley's been around a long time, but that's a private school. But as far as public universities, like state university here, that's the oldest program in the country. Hmm. And, and it continues to to ma- amaze those of us who teach here at the, at the incredibly high level of musicianship of the band. And quite frankly, a lot of people don't know about the, the small group program that we have here, uh, which is equally impressive and vibrant and uh where we have i think this this semester is there 32 32 combos in the small group program who get coached and uh we bring in guest artists to coach them last last year was uh tenor player jerry berganzi and the drummer adam nussbaum and the guitarist vic juris so we get some good people to come in and work with the kids too so we also have a very strong um combo program We've got a great Latin jazz ensemble. Uh, it's there's there's more than than the big band. So right. and a lot of people brand the school as being a big band school. No, it's not. The the one o'clock is the flagship ensemble, but it's mm-hmm. by no means the only ensemble or experience that uh, people get when they come here. And quite frankly, that's I think the strongest aspect of the school. Or, all the incredible performance opportunities that, that you have here. And of course, Denton is a great music town, great mm-hmm. music town. There's just stuff happening all the time. So, uh, between the university program and, uh, the, the opportunity to actually go out and hustle gigs on your own in town, it's, it's a good situation and it's a hell of a lot cheaper than living in Boston or New York. That's for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. I know all about that. That's I'm in New York, so it's <laughs> it's de- you. Well, you've lived here too, so yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh, it's definitely it's definitely pricey, and that's you know a lot of people talk about um about Nashville too. That's you know that it's yeah, it's it's reasonable. You can live there, and you know on a yeah. musician's salary, and Nashville's and, a great town. Yeah, I love it there. I love it there. So I have I have one other question for you uh, in terms of in terms of making a career out of this, because there's a ton of naysayers out there that say, you know, the industry is dead and you, you can't make a career out of music. Uh, and uh, so what's your, what's your advice to people that are, that are trying to do this now? Well, basically what I've already said, you know, be prepared, 
uh, be humble. Be mainly, I tell them, I look, I say, look, but the fact that you, I said, there's 10 zillion drummers out there. If you go to their websites, you think they're God's gift to drums. Everybody has an image uh, that 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 makes it look like this person is is working with everybody in the world and is uh, yeah you know it's 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 salesmanship it's advertising but I say when the rubber hits the road pal it's not going to be walking up on a bandstand and giving holding your degree out mm-hmm. and it's not going to be walking up to a bandstand with your computer open and saying here's my website it's going to be you walking up on the bandstand. Stand, stand, sitting down and making some serious music, whether it's rock and roll or folk or jazz or whatever. So lose the trappings and get down to what it's all about, which is just hardcore work, practice, preparedness, going after what you can't do, meeting people who are already established and picking their brains, Mm -hmm. going to a place where there are opportunities. But how, I mean, really, when you think about it, uh, with what we can do now with all the electronic and digital materials we have to work with, you can make music anywhere and get yeah. it out to any place in the world. So you've got to have some business savvy so that you're not taken advantage of. You need to know something about music business. Uh, you need to know something about just basic contracts. And if you don't know, you need to find someone who can help you. You need to belong to the union, especially if you're going to do any high-profile work and or studio work mm-hmm. so that you've got a pension. And uh, realizing that the life of a freelance musician is a very precarious one. Yes, it is. Incredibly precarious, So, especially in this day and age. So... Uh, and of course, having having realistic goals. I have students who are in service bands, the top service bands like Steve Fiddick and the Army Blues. Mm-hmm. I have students who are in symphony orchestras. I have students who are teaching in universities like I am. There are tons of opportunities to subsidize, as it were, your music. And so it's very important to be broad-based as well. To be able to to be able to speak well, to be able to give a clinic, to be able to to sit down and have a conversation with an agent or with a club owner, and to be able to use words other than cool, awesome, and dude. I mean, all this is important, even in this day and age. That's the image that matters. Right. Is how how you conduct yourself, how you express yourself. Very, very important. It sounds corny. It sounds corny to me when old folks used to tell me when I was a kid, but. <laughs> For God's sakes, it's true. And uh, so all those those elements, I mean, in some ways, it's even more exciting to be a musician now, even though economic s- situation is, is not good. But the opportunities, it is so easy for you to create your own opportunities now. Yeah. I mean, everybody can be a band leader. I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Everybody can do their project. You don't have the money? Go on Kickstarter. It's absolutely amazing what an enterprising person can do now. Mm-hmm. And if that enterprising person has true, truly musical skills that other people recognize and want to hear and want to use, you got it made. Look at Snarky Puppy. Good yeah. Lord. Yep. You know, these kids started here at school working gigs. Mike League is a genius. The leader. Talk about somebody focused, getting his business stuff together. 
Unbelievable what this guy's done. Same thing that Pat Matheny did when he started out. Touring in the van, sleeping on people's floors, just keeping the music out, having a goal, having a vision, mm-hmm. but being realistic about it. Right. So, I mean, the opportunities are there. It's just whether or not you've got the intelligence, the curiosity, the humility, yet the drive to go after it. And the bottom line is you've, when it comes time to produce the goods, you've got them to produce. Right. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's a great place to stop. I think that uh, that definitely summed up everything that we that we covered today. And I okay, know- well that's good because I got a class at one o'clock. Well, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Ed, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Uh, the knowledge that you shared with everybody was well, was Nick. Great. I hope people appreciate and and know what a what a great service you're doing to the music community. Uh, and the music community that plays drums. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. That means a lot, especially coming from you. Thank you. I oh, no, no, no. All right, man. All right. Well, take care, and uh, thank you again. It was, a, it was a great pleasure. Okay, stay well. All right, thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it, Mr. Ed Sof. To get all of the show notes from this podcast, just head over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 89. Also, you can get tips, tricks, expert advice, and my free ebook delivered right to your inbox if you sign up for the mailing list at drummersresource.com as well. Check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource, on Twitter at drummersrsource, and on Instagram at drummersresource. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.